What are the things in your life worth fighting for? As this year ends and we begin the new year, I think this is a question worth exploring. And Jude helps us answer that. He tells us that we have a faith that is worth fighting for. And of course, that faith in our current day is under attack from outside forces, outside of the church. But sadly, we see many attacks coming from inside the church as well. And this is exactly what was going on at the time that Jude wrote his little book to us. We're getting some help in this series from a guy named Aaron Bennett and Peter H. Davids. And we're going to spend four weeks in the book of Jude. And it's a great little book. And so if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Jude, which is the second last book in the New Testament, just before the book of Revelation. And it's only one chapter long. In fact, they don't even have chapter numbers. And today we're going to just focus on verses 1 and 2 of the book of Jude. And listen to what Jude writes to us as we end the year and head into the new year. He writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Those two verses talk to us about how to approach fighting for the faith, a faith that was worth dying for. And they were discovering that in real terms around the time that Jude wrote this little letter. And when you know, when you read those first two verses, in all honesty, I think sometimes those are the kind of verses we just read in a sort of a cursory fashion and just jump over them fairly quickly, and we don't give them a ton of thought. We don't typically memorize those kinds of verses, but actually, those are incredibly beautiful verses that teach us so much about healthy spirituality and healthy godliness, because they teach us what it means to fight with humility. The book of Jude is about defending the faith, and he begins by telling us the way to fight in a proper and a Christian way, in a way that reflects Christ well, is to fight with humility. Now think about that with me for a moment, because how often do we celebrate humility in our culture? We live in a culture that celebrates people who know how to make themselves the center of attention. Look at me. People who know how to draw an audience and hold that audience. Those are the people we typically celebrate in our society. And so the ancient Christian practice of humility seems very alien to us. It's really outside of the realm of our typical experience. And yet we're going to discover that it's a key component to the faith. It's a key component, humility is, to successfully defending the faith. And this book is all about defending the faith against apostasy. 
apostasy. Kind of a big word, not a word we use very often, but what it means is the attempt by some, particularly those within the church, to redefine Christianity. To try and make Christianity become something quite different than what Jesus intended for it to be. And we see this everywhere, sadly to say. So people have asked the kind of questions I'm about to suggest, but not only do they ask these questions, and it's okay to ask questions, but they have dived into these ideas and are trying to adopt these ideas and trying to propagate these kinds of ideas within the church. So they'll ask questions like this, is Jesus really the only way? And it's a legitimate question to answer, to ask rather, but the answer some of them are coming up with is, no, Jesus is not the only way. He's just one of many ways to have a relationship with God or whatever you conceive God to be. They ask questions like, is the Bible true? Again, a good question to ask, but many of them have come to the conclusion that it's not true that there's only parts of it that might be true. And I'm most comfortable with just picking and choosing those parts of the scripture that I'm comfortable with. And the parts that kind of unsettle me a little bit, the parts that get a little too personal in my life, I'm gonna set those aside. Apostate type thinking. Jesus seems okay, but I don't want anything to do with his church which of course is a non-biblical way of thinking. Even though the church has its faults, there is no plan B in the economy of God. Or I'm angry at that person over there, they've done something to offend me, but rather than trying to address that with them in a biblical way, I just pick up my stuff and I go to another church and hope that I never see them again. And I think many of us in the church have this kind of approach to confrontation. And these are just a few of the things that are inwardly corroding us. Apostasy can cost people their soul. And it's a significant issue today. But perhaps even bigger in the days of Jude. And the only reason I say that is because right now in the world, Christianity claims billions of followers. Now, whether all of those people are walking in authentic faith is not a decision that I make. It's a question only God can answer. And I know that correct theology is very important. But the idea being is if billions are following, if a few people are off the rails, it doesn't rock the boat as much as it would have in the days of Jude. Because in the days of Jude, they were a small bunch. And at that point when he wrote this book, all of the original disciples had been martyred for the faith except John. And so it's really the next wave of Christians that are carrying the leadership forward. The Romans at that time are actively persecuting the church. They are killing anybody off or imprisoning all those that are saying they are followers of Jesus. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day in Israel, are working day and night at that point to diminish the influence of Christ's followers against those kinds of odds, empowered by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is thriving 
and growing and growing exponentially. But Jude has discovered a new danger that's arising. Not just these outside forces of the Romans and the Pharisees attacking the church. But there's a new inward danger that has arisen. Apostate thinking. Apostate beliefs of people in the church believing false doctrine and false teaching. Have you ever had to defend yourself? The most commonly accepted approach in our world when we are attacked is to cite our rights chapter and verse, to puff ourselves up, to be big and to be bold and to be aggressive and put our point of view in the other person's face. And Jude and the church is under attack But in these two opening verses, he strikes a very different posture than we typically see when people are having to defend themselves. With those things in mind, let me reread those two verses to you with that backstory in mind. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, To those who are called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. So Jude introduces himself as the servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I'm the righteous zealot. He doesn't say, I'm the defender of the faith. He doesn't say, I'm the apostle. Now he says, the reason I consider myself worthy to defend the faith from these attacks from within is because I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And in the book and in the weeks that we spend in this book, we're going to see a call from him to stand for truth, to stand for truth with courage, with discernment, and with action. There's nothing passive about this. But he does it as a servant of Jesus Christ. And so he says, if you're going to defend the faith with truth, with courage, with discernment, with action, in order to do this, it all begins with being humble. We defend the faith with humility. And so the first big idea here is to remember your past. Of course, pride is the opposite of humility. And pride is a double-sided coin. And on one side of the coin, it says, I am the best. And I will promote myself as the best. And I do, will do whatever I have to to be the best because I am better than you. I want you to know that I'm better than you. And I'm going to keep that front and center before everyone. The other side of the coin, when it comes to pride, is I am the worst. And the evil one, Satan, loves to get us to commit to one side of the coin or the other. Because if we somehow delude ourselves and convince ourselves that I am the best, it's not too long until he can convince us I am the worst. 
And if we convince ourselves that we are the worst, then we think the pattern to our life is that we somehow must become the best. And it locks us into this jail of the pursuit of pride. And Jude says to us, the opposite of this is freedom. And freedom is only found in humility. Because the truth of the matter is, you're not the best at anything. And you're not the worst at anything. But what he says in these verses is, you may not be the best, and you're not the worst, but you are loved. This is what the latter part of verse 1 and verse 2 says. You're not the best, you're not the worst, but you are loved. This is what these verses say. You are loved by a gracious God. Where our relationship to the world and everyone around us, and most importantly, our relationship to ourselves, is defined by our relationship to Jesus. It doesn't matter what they think about you, or they think about you, or what you think about yourself. Your relationship to all of these things is defined by our relationship to Jesus. And it's only when we understand this that we can begin to live in the freedom of humility. So Jude says, I am the servant of Jesus Christ. And the word servant here from the Greek literally means bond slave or bond servant. Peter H. David says, slaves in that society had absolutely no status. And so Jude is saying, I am devoted to Jesus, and it doesn't matter what these other people think about me. I am devoted to Jesus at the disregard of my own interests. Jude is saying, I'm actually not even interested in what I want anymore personally. I'm allowing Jesus to change my wants and my desires. And if you are a follower of Jesus or you've recently given your life to Christ, this is what the Christ life is like. This ongoing, progressive, day-by-day thing where you're increasingly saying, it's not about me, it's all about him. I will find freedom in that type of humility and he will shape and he will mold my wants and my desires and Jude is saying this is a key to joy and freedom, and I have chosen it freely in Christ. And this kind of thinking and this kind of attitude brings me to the place where I can defend the faith. Now, this is very shocking language in that era in particular, and it's language we don't even really understand for the most part. Because Jude was not born a slave. In fact, he identifies himself as the brother of James, who was also the brother of Jesus. And we know from the book of Matthew and the book of Mark that Jude was one of four brothers of Jesus. He was either the third or the fourth brother of Jesus. In Matthew, it says... um, one of, he was either third or fourth, I can't remember which, but Mark said he was either third or fourth. So he's one of the brothers of Jesus. And so this means that Jude was born into a type of spiritual royalty. 
And in that society, who your family was, was very big deal, way bigger deal than we make it today. And so amongst his target audience, Jude would have been viewed as having royal spiritual lineage. But he doesn't directly identify himself that way. And if it was me, or maybe if if it was you, we might have been very sinfully tempted to begin the book like this. Hi, everybody. I'm Jude. You've probably heard of me. My brother's name was Jesus Christ. That's right. I'm the brother of the Son of God. Lived with him every day. Growing up, we had breakfast together every day. You had better listen to what I have to say. And if Jude had wanted to seize power, because remember, all of the apostles except for John have been martyred for the faith at this point, and there would appear to be an opportunity to step in here and take over. If Jude had wanted to seize power, that would have been the typical approach that most people would take in our world. Look at me and look at who my brother was. I should be the leader now. This is not how Jude began. Study some of the other world religions and you'll see what happens when their founding leader dies. Jude takes a very different posture. He takes the picture and the posture of being a slave, a bond slave to Jesus. His brother is also James, and James is one of the most influential and respected pastors in the whole church. He's one of the first martyrs. He's sort of seen as the golden child in the church. But Jude doesn't make a big deal of this. And so here's what he's saying. The key to any godly confrontation begins with humility. And friends, there's any number of us that are avoiding that godly confrontation. We don't want to do what it takes to be right with that brother or sister in Christ or to approach that issue that needs to be approached. And instead we go the other way or we puff ourselves up And Jude says the key to any godly confrontation begins with humility. And as he writes this stuff, he's thinking about his past. If you were to read in the book of John chapter 7, verses 3 to 6, we see Jesus doing his public ministry. He's out healing people. He's teaching in a way that leaves people with their mouths hanging open because they've never heard teaching like this. But in those four verses, we are told in verse 5 that none of the brothers, including Jude, believed in Jesus. Not one of them had bowed the knee to him. They didn't believe in him, and they were not on Team Jesus. And even though undoubtedly they would have seen him doing miracles already and heard his teaching, they were not buying it. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, when Jesus is dying for your sin and for my sin, even though he's completely innocent, Jude was not there because at that point, he did not believe in Christ. Jesus' mother, Mary, was there seeing her oldest son 
dying, being traumatized by seeing her oldest son die in that way. We're told that Jesus' best friend, John, was there by Mary's side. But Jude, nor any of his brothers, were not there. But because of the cross, Jesus forgave that betrayal from Jude. He wasn't even there when his own mom was suffering. But because of the cross, Jesus forgave the betrayal from Jude. And this is why Jude is so effective at defending the faith. Because he knew it was a faith worth fighting for. And he had experienced the grace that he was going to write about. Grace that doesn't require anything more from us other than the sacrifice of Christ. And people were trying to say, you need to do this and this and this to make yourself right from God. And then people on the other side of the equation were saying, okay, because of what Jesus did, now I can go and do anything I want. And Jude understood what real grace was all about. And why? Because he did experienced it personally. And this is why he was so effective at defending it. Jude then makes a choice, secondly, to be humble. And you know, sometimes we think about humility as a destination, but of course it's a journey. And so if I could encourage you to do one thing, certainly it would be to pray for humility, but mostly to pray for the opportunity to practice humility. To ask God and say, God, where in my life can I make a choice to be humble? Where in my life can I make a choice to be humble? Where in my life can I make a choice to put others in front of me? It actually says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, and in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, consider others more valuable than yourself. Consider others more valuable than ourselves. And when we do that, contrary to what most people would suggest to us today, when we do that, we do not diminish our own self-worth because Jude has reminded us our worth resides in who we are in Christ. And we see this in the text. Our worth resides in who we are in Christ, not in what other people think about us, not in what we think about ourselves. And so with this kind of thinking in mind, it's okay to go to work and there's someone who's better at doing the job than you are. You're doing your best. When we go to work, we're called to do our best and to work hard, but they just have more skills or whatever and they're doing it better. It's okay. It's okay if someone gets more attention than me. It's okay if they get more likes on their posts on Instagram or Facebook than I do. Because God has given me, Judah's saying, God has given me the freedom to consider others more important than myself. And because I am confident of who I am in Christ. He invites the question, do you want that freedom that humility brings? And that humility paints the picture that the father has the situation in hand. And so his own brother, James, in writing, James writes this, he says in chapter four, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 
Some translations say, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James, if you read his book, has a very similar posture to all of this as his brother Jude did. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and some of the writings of 1 Peter are based out of the book of Jude. You can see how Jude would have talked to Peter about some of these things. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter says, listen, God will actually oppose what we're doing if we're walking in pride. And so if you feel at times like you're walking in life and bumping into brick walls, one of the reasons for that, not the only reason, but one of the reasons for that is that God is opposing our pride. Instead, it says in 1 Peter, God gives grace to the humble, undeserved goodness and right standing before God. Finally, third point here, humility begins and ends with Jesus. Pride is this uh, sort of protective instinct that we all have. It's this hope that there's a place in life for me and I will fight for myself and I will fight for the victory to put myself forward. So pride becomes this protective instinct. Confidence is very different. And confidence is what we're called to have. Confidence is fighting hard for a winning cause on a winning team. Pride is rooted in the personal pursuit of victory. I have to win so that everyone looks at me, so that everyone acknowledges me. Confidence, Jude reminds us, is rooted in Jesus. We win because of Christ. Human failure at best is only temporary, or at worst is only temporary. Earthly success comes and goes. And has this year, this past year, ever illustrated that? In fact, Scripture would tell us we're not actually here to succeed. We're here as Christ followers to obey. We're here as Christ followers to obey. And then we are confident in fighting for a winning cause. Because Jude says, my approval resides in Christ. My approval resides in the cross. That I was incredibly valuable to God. And this is why Jesus paid the price that cannot be calculated. Let me reread verses, the end of verse 1 and verse 2 again. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Christ Jesus. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Peter H. Davids, in writing about this, says Jude's readers are in a secure position. There's security in Christ. Jude's readers are in a secure position. They're not only receiving God's love and protection, but Jude is praying this mercy, peace, and love that they have received will be multiplied. And so Jude is saying to you, 
When I was least lovable, I was loved. When I was least godly, God wanted me. When I was furthest from him, he pursued me. He was never shocked by my sin. He was thoroughly honest about my sin. He didn't minimize my sin. He didn't minimize how horrible that sin is. Instead, he chose to pay for it in full. That Jesus was never weak, but he was always humble. Never weak, but always humble. It says in Matthew 5 that he was meek, which means not that he was a wimp, not in any way. Meek means that he has the full ability to absolutely conquer whoever is opposing him, and he chooses not to do it. That takes courage. That takes strength. Jesus was a strong warrior. And so Jude is saying, nothing can derail God's best for you. And he sets us up to defend the faith like this, reading to you from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Jude is going to invite us in this series to fight with humility, with gentleness and respect.